God has this funny habit, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but he has this habit of asking people to do impossible things. Um, you know, asked Moses, go walk across that ocean with 600,000 people, um, and somehow it happens. He asks the Jews repeatedly, go and defeat that huge army with just a couple of hundred soldiers or something, or go and defeat that ginormous warrior with just this scrawny little kid. Um, he asks Sarah to give birth to a child at 90 years old. He asks Peter to pay his taxes by catching a fish and taking a coin out of its mouth. Ridiculous. Today in our gospel is no exception. Jesus says, love your enemies and be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Are we able to do that? Yeah. It can seem pretty impossible. All, all through the Old Testament, God has already been commanding his people to love. So many of the commandments are about how to treat our neighbor and how to love them. But Jesus takes this to the next level. He takes it to a whole new depth, saying that that love should even be extended to our enemies, to those who hate us or persecute us, and that can seem impossible. But this is Jesus taking that love that he calls us to, to that greater level of perfection, to even extend to our enemies, which can seem crazy. But it shows up that the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of salvation is that it is impossible, that there's nothing we can do to fix the problem that we've found ourselves in, that um, we aren't able to step into the life that God has for us, the purpose that he has for us, without the grace of salvation, without Jesus coming to help us and make that possible for us. And so when we look at a command like this, to become as perfect as our Heavenly Father, to love even our enemies, to love as strongly and perfectly as Jesus loves, we can't just do that by trying harder, by being that little bit more disciplined, by just making sure we make the right decisions and care for the other person in every situation, it's not possible. We can only enter into this love and participate in it by looking to Jesus and by allowing him to share with us his own love. That's the only way it's ever going to be possible. So today, as we have this seemingly impossible command from Jesus to love our neighbors, um, I want to explore with you what it looks like when Jesus loves his neighbors. He's the one that gives us the example and makes it possible for us to do it. So let's look at how he does it. But we have to start first with the question of who are Jesus' enemies? And I want to do a bit of a brainstorm, so please help me out. Who, who are those that oppose or resist Jesus that he has to fight against? Any ideas? The Pharisees. Wow, last night one person called that out. Now I had a chorus of about 20 voices. Very good. You guys know your scriptures well. The Pharisees, you can add to that list the, the Sadducees and the chief priests and the lawyers and you know all those ones that Jesus is constantly arguing with. Um, perhaps there's another kind of occupying force around at the time that you might identify as a... The Romans. You guys are very good. Well done. Well done. What, hmm? The Collingwood Football Club is not an enemy of Jesus. Um, in some sense. Well, well, that'll make sense in a moment. Um, would you add Judas to that list? Yeah? He resisted or opposed Jesus at a point. A strong yes from the front row. What about these days um, in our modern world? Does Jesus still have enemies that resist or oppose his work? Yeah? Um, I don't want you to slander anybody by calling it out, but... <laughs> Anyone who's, you know, 
perhaps those who aren't Christian or those who persecute Christians, those who are actively working against the Christian values that, that we try and bring into the world, whether in politics or in other industries, or that, yes, you could identify plenty of enemies of Jesus in the world. But what about you and me? Would you add us to the list of Jesus' enemies? I would. We all sin. We all still sin at times. And as far as we continue to be drawn into sin, there's still some part of us that is resisting and opposing Jesus' work in our life. We're still resisting and opposing the path that he calls us to, the transformation that he wants to bring, the love that he wants to convince us of, and the love that he calls us to. So, yes, in that sense, we are all Jesus' enemies. Or there's at least some part of our hearts that is still an enemy of Jesus. And so, I want to look at how Jesus loves his enemies today, not by looking at those obvious enemies, the Pharisees or the Romans, that Jesus is like actively fighting against, but I want to look at a couple of encounters that Jesus has in the Gospels that are with his friends, or those who are following him, but when it shows up that there's this resistance or opposition coming from their hearts. Because I hope that this would as well help us to recognize those parts within ourselves that resist the work of Jesus, that resist his grace and his love. And not only to identify them, but to understand how Jesus loves those parts of our hearts. Sound like a plan? Cool. I have four stories I want to tap into. The first one is from Mark's Gospel when Jesus encounters this rich young man who is eager to follow him. He's eager to take up the kingdom of God. He says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he's a good law-following Jew because Jesus says you should follow this commandment and this commandment and this commandment and this commandment. And he says, yeah, great, I've done that all my life. I've been following the commandments as best as I can. But Jesus calls him to the next level. He says, okay, if you want to be perfect, just like he's saying in today's gospel, if you want to be perfect, you should sell everything you own, give your money to the poor, and then come and follow me. But there's something in his heart that resists that call from Jesus. Whether it's his attachment to his wealth his position or his status, his heart is clinging to that in such a way that he's not free to follow Jesus, to take up Jesus' invitation. And it's a tragic story because he goes away sad. That's the last line of the story. And he went away sad. And I'm sure as well, it doesn't say, but that Jesus would have been sad at the end of that encounter as well. Because he wanted the best for this man. He loved him. But he wasn't able to draw him into that fullness of life that he was offering. I contrast this with another story where Jesus, a man comes to Jesus asking for healing and he's able to say, like, yes, Lord, I want to believe, but help my unbelief. He's able to recognize that, okay, I don't have the faith to respond fully to you, Jesus. But in that moment, Jesus is able to work the healing because that man recognizes his weakness and is open and honest about it with Jesus. And that's how it works with us. Yes, it's hard to follow where Jesus calls us. It's hard to hear that call and respond completely. But when we're able to be honest with our weakness before the Lord, then his grace can come in and do the rest. 
When we're able to be honest with that weakness, then Jesus can take us through, just like the rich young man wasn't able to do. He hid his heart away from Jesus. The next enemy of Jesus, who was actually a very close friend, was Peter. Um, we see one famous passage where Peter, or Jesus is chatting with his disciples, and Peter's actually just kind of gone to the top of the class because Jesus said, who do you say I am? And he said, you are the Messiah, the Christ. And he's like, yes, correct answer. Then Jesus starts talking about going to the cross, that the Son of Man must be rejected, um, arrested, and be put to death. And then Peter stands up and rebukes him and basically totally opposes the path that Jesus is set on. Jesus knows that this is where God, the Father is calling me. This is the plan that God has for me and my mission. And Peter says, no, that can't happen. I'm not going to let it happen. Don't do that. Clearly opposing Jesus. Now, in this situation, Jesus loves Peter by giving him a flat-out rebuke and saying, no, get in line. So sometimes loving our enemies does look like calling out the truth. Um, but there was something in Peter that was, that was going in a very different direction to where Jesus was, and Jesus had to lead him gently. But we see another instance where Peter fails to cooperate with where God's calling him, and that's during Jesus' passion. When Peter, although he's said, I will follow you to death, Lord, Peter is asked while Jesus is imprisoned, um, He's asked whether he recognizes him, and three times he denies that he even knows Jesus. I don't know the guy. No, I don't associate with him. Peter denies it. Denies that he has anything to do with Jesus, that he's following him. And there's this beautiful moment where Jesus looks at him. Just after Peter realizes, oh my goodness, I've just denied that I know my Lord, my friend. I've just given away our relationship in front of others. And Peter looks at him. And Jesus looks at Peter, sorry. And there may have been many things in Jesus' eyes as he looked at Peter. There may have been pain and sorrow and disappointment in Peter's failure. But I know that there wasn't condemnation there. There was certainly love in that gaze. Because the next time we see Peter meeting Jesus is after the resurrection. And Jesus gives him this opportunity to where, where he's denied him three times, Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to make up for that, and he says, do you love me? Three times he repeats that same question so that Peter can affirm, yes, Lord, I want to be in relationship with you. I do love you. And just the same, when we've failed, when we've turned away from that path that Jesus has for us, he wants to meet us in that very failure and give us the opportunity to receive his forgiveness. He wants to give us the opportunity to repent and turn back to him and say, yes, I want to follow you. I want my friendship with you, Jesus. And this happens most beautifully in the sacrament of reconciliation where Jesus is always waiting for us to offer us that forgiveness there. The next friend of Jesus is Martha, that I want to look at. Martha and her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus were close friends of Jesus, such that Jesus would um, pop into their house from time to time, just, you know, when he was coming through town. And one day, when Jesus pops into their house, um, Martha was getting a little bit frustrated. Don't know why, she might have been having a bad day already, but 
she comes out into the room where Jesus is and says, what are you doing, Lord? Seriously, I'm slaving away in the kitchen. My sister Mary's just sitting there like a lazy sod, just listening, not doing anything. What's going on? She's a bit frustrated. Um, Have you ever noticed yourself getting annoyed when God doesn't seem to be doing anything? It doesn't seem to be acting, that you seem to be doing all the work and praying and and working at it. Um, And you're like, what's going on, Lord? What are you doing? I've been faithful. I've been generous. I'm doing everything I can, but what are you doing, Lord? Jesus responds and doesn't just ignore her and say, yeah, she'll calm down later. She's just having a bad day. He stops and he addresses her, looks her in the eye. And I've always thought that when Jesus says, Martha, Martha, that it's like he's trying to get her attention as if, as if she needs to kind of snap out of her head. But Martha, Martha, you're only worried about your distractions, your frustrations, your worries, your plan of how things are supposed to go. But there's something greater going on here. He invites her to look at the the greater perspective. But he does it so gently. He does it so gently. He knows Martha and knows how to call her out of herself to recognize that. And another beautiful thing about this is that they were obviously close enough friends that Martha was comfortable in bringing her complaint to Jesus. She didn't just sit and stew in the kitchen and go, oh no, he's the Lord of the universe, I can't go and complain to him. She came and said what was frustrating her, said what was burdening her heart, and I would hope that in our friendship with Jesus that we can be able to do that. Not go, oh no, I'll just put away my anger and frustrations and bring all of my gratitude and my peace to prayer and be all nice and loving when I come before Jesus, but that we can be honest with those painful parts of our hearts, and if our heart is crying out, Lord, what are you doing? Then we can come to prayer and say, Lord, what are you doing? Because then he can speak to us in that frustration. He can meet that pain and bring us the comfort that we need. The last enemy of Jesus that I want to look at, and it's not actually an encounter with Jesus, the story that Jesus tells, but it reveals God's heart, so it still fits my category. So... It's from the story of the prodigal son. So you know the story. The, the younger son takes all of his inheritance, goes off to a distant country, wastes it, lives a terrible lifestyle. But he repents, comes back. Um, and the father welcomes him with open arms, throws a big party, says, you're my son again. You were dead and you were alive. Great rejoicing. The whole household rejoices, except for the older brother. So the older brother is the enemy that I want to look at. Because... He can't get on board with the father's plan. The father is is full of forgiveness for the son. He's full of joy for the life of his younger son. And the older brother just can't understand this forgiveness. Can't accept that the father would accept his brother back into the house. Such that he's stuck outside of the party. Outside of the joy of the father's house isolated, far away from the whole household. Everybody else is sharing in that joy. Perhaps we can relate to this because of um, some reaction of jealousy or envy at how God has worked in others' lives. But really, I think this can be an image for us of any way that our, our sin has taken us outside of God's household. When we feel like we're outside in the dark, isolated, 
from this joy from the party that's going on. But while the brother is out there in the dark, stuck in his um, envy and unforgiveness, where do we find the father? He goes out to meet him. The father goes out looking for the stubborn older brother. He goes out into the darkness, into the isolation, to meet him there. And so Jesus wants to meet us in those parts of our heart that are resistant to God's plan, that oppose God's mercy and his work in the world. God wants to come and meet us in those parts of ourselves where we've turned away from him. He wants to meet our brokenness there with his mercy and his tenderness. We see on the cross that Jesus meets this rejection that's come from all of humanity. He meets it with a humble love. What he's saying is this is what it looks like to love our enemies. Because this is how Jesus loves us. Hello, Father Dan here. If this homily has been helpful, there are a few things I'd love for you to do. Firstly, subscribe to this podcast or share this episode with someone who might find it helpful. And consider also helping us to expand our mission and reach out to more people by donating at stbenedicts.com.au forward slash donate, or you can click on the link in the podcast description. Thanks so much for joining us and have a blessed week.